movie lovers, welcome home. My name is Amy Henserling and you're listening to Watch This List. This is a very special episode because it is my last episode of Amy's Progress for 2023, which has been a hard year. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it has been for everyone else, um, but this has been a rough run for me, for me personally. And I uh, felt very compelled to sort of like conclude the year with a movie that is not only about alcoholism, but is based on a book about that, whose writer struggled with it, and is a beloved classic. Uh, so I knew that everybody would kind of be like, okay, we're ending with a banger that everybody's heard of. But it also sort of plays into the theme of my series. And Jacob over here, who is uh, Boat of Raw on Letterboxd, uh, wrote an exceptional poem on The Shining that I wanted him to share with you guys that sort of inspired this initially. As soon as I saw it, I, I emailed him and I was like, Jacob, we have to do The Shining. So Jacob, I am so thrilled that you said yes. And hello. Yeah, happy to be here. This is, uh, these conversations have been heavy and beautiful to listen to, and I'm happy to be a part. Thank you. And uh, we're taking a little bit of detour from Trey Noirs and yeah. getting, getting into <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> getting into a little bit more heady territory. To the sacred cows. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I felt this pressure when uh, Mitch and I did Stalker, where it was just right. like, oh my gosh, there's just so much written on this um but uh i i told jacob before we started i would like him to read his poem for us just to sort of center us almost like um a meditation so yeah. everybody get comfortable and um get into the zone with us and jacob take it away all right if there's a if if talking about the movie is sort of audacious, the the whole concept of this poem kind of started in the same way, it, which is in the title. I think the title is "Revision of the Shining," mm. and so I'll I'll read it now. "Revision of the Shining." Let's say he puts back what whiskey the ghost poured, stops wandering the halls, set pounding his tennis ball into sun dust. Instead of wringing the snowflake of his drunkenness out, he tells his wife about process and goes to work. Five months on the wagon. Let's say I've had it too. Three years, he says, since he's pulled the kid's arm from its socket for, what, scattering papers? When a man punched a hole in the wall of her house, Let's say my mother cocked her head and said, Hope that feels good. Now get the spackle and fix it. Let's say I learned to hate the man who whined about having to do what he had to do. Say Jack does too. Let's say a man is not an empty room in which a cigarette simmers typing away at an endless buffet like a goof king, dictating a missive to a far-flung conquistador, gesturing over piles of meat, retiring to the little room and the couch 
where it is buzzing brain leaky nothing time in the unreliable now for the sad sad man with the slouch let's say i never knew this room where even now there is golden ice there is golden ice in a glass held gracefully by a stone hand and the golden ice at the bottom of the glass says shh uh, so can you tell us where this came from or what what this means to you yeah um i think i i wrote this at um writing residency that I did um, in Provincetown, Massachusetts, which, like the Overlook Hotel, is a very isolated place. Um, it's at the very, the very tip of Cape Cod, uh, which is sort of like if you, if you hold your arm up uh, as if you're flexing, Provincetown is like right at the, at the tip out in the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, in the, in the residency was over the winter. And so everybody leaves and, um, and people will who, who are there will sort of joke that the only things to do are, are drink and go insane. Mm. Um, and it's a, a place where lots of, you know, writers and painters and things have, have spent time. And, um, and, uh, it was, uh, it was, a uh, a, a time of, kind of negotiating my relationship to, to addiction and substances. And, uh, and also, um, I think I had two or three DVDs at that time. And one was the shining and, and I, so I would sort of watch it repeatedly. Um, and it had never, and I had, you know, seen it and, and been terrified by it when I was, you know, at, too young, I think probably. Um, but I had never until then, until I was in that environment, I had never realized how much it is a movie about alcoholism and how much it is a movie about the kind of narcissism of, of the writer also, um, who's just kind of careening toward the void. Um, and, and so I think at that time I saw, um, I think as maybe embarrassing as this is to say, or as, as sad as this is to say, I saw, I saw how this clearly insane person in the movie was doing things that reminded me of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the poem was in it was, you know, in the title, it was an attempt to revise that <laughs> or, or fix that, you know, for yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was the context in, in which I wrote it. And I think, and then, um, you know, and I didn't, I didn't, hadn't read uh, the book uh, uh, until recently, uh, which is much more about addiction and, and alcoholism than, than even the film, but it's mm. still, you know, it, it was still revealed to me in that environment in which I was seeing myself in that, in that way. Well, and it's interesting that you, I could feel that when I read your poem, I felt that it was by someone who understood and could at least um, maybe not, you could like identify 
characteristics and behaviors and feelings that I felt only someone who was exploring that within themselves could feel. So there's a lot of truth in the way that it's expressed and the language that you use, especially the the final line to me, the golden eye saying, shh, you know, that sort of, it's almost like it reminds me of a siren call uh, where you're just sort of being allured to your doom. And I think the overlook has that quality about it as well. Right. The, the, the whole, you know, the, the whole, thing is about the de- sort of the death drive that that just desire for the void and for you know feeling to be dulled and blanked out and um and you know and that's that's the role of alcohol in in in, in a lot of ways in many people's lives you know and and, and it's easy f- and you know it's easy for that to sneak up on you i think as as in a hotel of ghosts <laughs> well and i want to say before we get off this yeah. entirely and and sort of compare contrast the book with the film because jacob just finished the book and i'm reading on writing by king um i did want to read these passages that he's got about the shining because as much as i think that it it's sort of spooky in a way, how you're describing being in this place that enabled you to see something that King Stephen, when he was writing it, did not realize at all, nor would he have called himself an alcoholic at all. That's like, interesting. He, he only realized it looking back, which yeah. is what I'm going to read. So these are brief, but we're in like, well, it, it's fitting because you're a teacher. We're in like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. reading mode. Yeah. Um Okay, so I'm going to say this briefly, but alcoholics build defenses like the Dutch build dikes. I spent the first 12 years or so of my married life assuring myself that I just liked to drink. I also employed the world-famous Hemingway defense. Although never clearly articulated, it would not be manly to do so. The Hemingway defense goes something like this. As a writer, I'm a very sensitive fellow, but I'm also a man. And real men don't give in to their sensitivities. Only sissy men do that. Therefore, I drink. How else can I face the existential horror of it all and continue to work? Besides, come on, I can handle it. A real man always can. And then moving forward, holy shit, I'm an alcoholic, I thought. And there was no dissenting opinion from inside my head. I was, after all, the guy who had written The Shining without even realizing, at least until that night that I was writing about myself. Um, that, and then he also said, um, he kind of describes this when he's talking about writing misery, especially, um, that something within him was screaming out. And so his cry for help came in the form of his writing, um, and came in the form of monsters, uh, or like you say, in this instance, it's ghosts, but, uh, Kubrick doesn't necessarily emphasize this as much in the film. So how would you, how would you quantify those two things sort of in this vein? Yeah. I, I think so much of the film is you get the sense that the plot is this sort of almost less important 
part of the film or is sort of a base for building on all these thematic layers, you know, that are the things that people I think really love about that movie and why it is so um, analyzed is that there, there, you know, you can watch it with these different readings and is it a, is it a movie about abuse? Is it a movie about um, alcoholism? Is it a movie about the, you know, native American genocide and, and the, and it's, you know, all the moon landings. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and all of those things are there, I think, um, because of the, because of the, the way that he sort of boils down the plot to its most, it's almost strange. I was thinking, I, you know, watched it last night, just how minimalist the movie really is, even though it's so long that there's not a lot of character, what you would call character development. There's not, um, you, you don't see as you do in the book, the kind of tender aspects of the relationship between the family um, that you see in the book. You know, they have these, these kind of moments of love and moments where you see them as round people. You're just sort of immediately from the beginning, like this guy has barely contained rage at his wife and is clearly going to kill his family with an ax you know you just it's it's just right there in jack nicholson's face from the beginning of the movie that that you and the and the music that just emphasizes that everything is about to go terribly wrong and you sort of can't believe how bad it gets um over the course of the the film but um it just seems like he what it seems like what Kubrick wanted is once of the plot of a story is is for it to just be a sort of a skeleton on which to hang all the all of these things, these other themes and 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 things that it sort of resonates um, with that plot. Whereas you know King is telling a much more kind of human story about about. Um, you know, a person like that, the, the, that central difference in the, in the book is that, you know, Jack at the end, you know, sort of pulls back from the forces of evil that are, you know, dragging him into the darkness and, and, and says, no, I, Danny, I love you, you know, before, um, before he dies. So he sort of, in a certain way, you know, conquers, Redeemed. The demon, well, yeah, right. He's that's a better way to put it. He's re, he's redeemed, even though he is is dragged down by it. Um, whereas you know, in the in the film, they just he just becomes Satan, basically. You know. Well, and I think in the film too, there's all there's um so much to do with time and memory and past events like violent events the you know and people have all sorts of interpretations around this and theories jacob and i are are not here to uh address them all i will just say what i think and then you can yeah. say what you think yeah. but um obviously there are so many that it's ridiculous um i do think that there is something about this that is close to clockwork orange in my opinion as far as like the depersonalization Mm -hmm. of people um where kubrick has kind of almost like a cold atheistic approach yeah uh where it is you start out with a person who 
you can sort of tell is already in trouble. But then as the film goes on, they become less and less human or less and less a person. And then by the end, they're just completely stripped of their humanity. Yeah. Yeah. I I mentioned before, before we started recording that I I was struck last night when I watched it again, you know, I maybe seen it 20 times. I don't know how many times I've seen the shining. Um, but still you're always kind of struck by these things that you hadn't really thought of in this way before. I hadn't really noticed in this way. And last night for me, it was that so much of the movie dramatizes conversations that are very banal and that are very just two people meeting each other for the first time. It's a jo- the job interview is where the film opens. And then the interaction between um, Wendy and the, uh, the doctor that comes after Danny has his episode, you know, these sort of stilted, we're two strangers and we're just sort of having this, um, this conversation in which we're getting to know each other. Uh, and when they then show up at the hotel and, um, and Halloran is walking them around, it's that saying, are you a Winnie or a Freddie? You know, that, that whole sort of, and, and that, that there's this kind of surface level to the, to human interaction um, in, in so much of the movie that then as soon as they're alone, everything becomes terrible. You know, it's like that was, there was just this thin kind of mask that everyone was wearing. And then as soon as it's just these three people in the hotel, uh, you know, it's so fast that he becomes crazy. Basically it's just in, in the, in the book, there's a, there's sort of, a long time or this kind of slow, slow descent into madness. But then in the movie, it's just, you get one of those, you know, title, those time cue title cards. It's like Tuesday or whatever. And (laughs) you're just like, okay, he's, and he's doing that Kubrick, you know, eyes down, staring maniacally out the window thing. Um, And, and it, 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 to, to your point that, that there's this sort of, um, implication that maybe people fr- from the beginning, like we're all just sort of pretending or something, you know, that there's, there's this real kind of, I think Herzog, maybe I, I could be misattributing this, but some, some um, line of, from, from one of the, those Herzog documentaries about maybe about the, maybe the grizzly man, which the, nature is this kind of, or civilization is this thin crust of ice over a vast ocean of chaos. And that, mm-hmm. and that that's how he sees, that's how Herzog sees the natural world. And I thought of that last night as I was observing this kind of stiltedness to the interactions in, in the first half of the shining that then becomes so um, chaotic, you know, and, and, and cruel. permeating. Yeah. I was going to say another, one question I wrote down when I rewatched it. I watched rewatched it two nights ago was um, how time and place influence identity. Yeah. So so it's also like like you're saying once the three of them are left alone, they're all of a sudden they're changing or they're changed um, in different ways, and then it's just a matter of the way that Jack responds right. to the events is is to embrace the past 
and embrace the violence and everything that he's being seen. Whereas Danny and Wendy, when they are confronted, they reject it completely and they know that it's bad. So that to me, that's like a key difference between the characters mm -hmm. um, is like Wendy and Danny, you know, right. when he sees the, the kids, the girls who want to play with him and then he gets right. that that flash of like actually they're dead and what i'm right. seeing isn't real right. he doesn't want that like that's right it's it doesn't serve him so he rejects it wendy's the same when she sees that the costumed figure she runs away right. whereas when jack sees things he moves towards them and i think that's very telling right and that that and there there is that that itself what you're describing is is a sort of addictive personality mm -hmm. trait that he's he's drawn toward the void you know that when he sees the when he has the opportunity to slide back into these behaviors you know i noticed in in the film to another one of these weird details where she's bringing wendy is bringing him his eggs and and there, there's just this little line it's all it's almost eleven thirty. you know he's he's slept Almost through All the morning. through the entire morning, as if he were you know hung over, as if he were had been drinking, and and that the, there are so many parts of the book like that where he starts chewing up the excedrins and wiping his mouth. These things that she attributes to his his drinking, but he's not drinking. He's just he's he's just reverting to this this tug toward uh oblivion you know and 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 that it's the and that if it finds its form in alcohol we call it alcoholism but in the shining it's you know all of these other thing you know violent Elements. things yeah yeah well and it's it's also like each time i know there's a there's like a chart of this but like it, each time that he goes to the gold room is is significant like he when he drinks the first time with lloyd it's right after a fight um right. that he has with wendy right. so it, there's also i think of just a, um a deep respect that people have for kubrick's well the double-edged sword of his perfectionism and the um attention to detail attention to uh nuance like it, it's not just an nothing's an accident of when things happen or why, right. um, and depending on how far you want to go, and people have gone so far into analysis, right. you can. I mean, I think at a certain point you kind of start to lose your brain, like people do with primer. But right. <laughs> um, still, uh, it's telling that that conversation with Lloyd and the and sort of like ease in which he says it, but then it also seems like he's in the past like there's there's yeah. like a merge of that yeah. with the way that he's dressed lloyd's dressed the way that he speaks even their vernacular is different yeah 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 for sure you're you're you've said it in in a way that makes it so clear to me that that it that sort of idea in the movie that all all time is contemporaneous that that the past is not actually the past, but is happening at the same time. And that, yeah. And that sees, he says, I think the line, you know, I, I, I give my soul for a glass of beer or something like that. And, and yes. kind of wipes his, wipes his face off. And then, and then immediately is very different is, is very, um, 
jocular and is using language that we haven't seen him use before right. and is um it seems seems like a different person almost and then also has the one drink and is is sloshed immediately you can it's, right. it's sort of is sort of slurring his words and cursing a lot and doing all these 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 very drunken things and and even and I've sort of we we mentioned you know we were chatting before this the the Jack Nicholson's performance is very over is over the top you know there's no that's not wrong at all but but also it, it strikes me as being indicative of that same all time is contemporaneous idea where he's almost he almost behaves as if he's in a movie from the 1930s or what, or, or this previous era of film. Like in which, silent film. Yeah. Like over, yeah, overdoing, overreacting because you can't hear. Yeah. You know, later in the, you know, when he's locked in the, the um, pantry and is, is, you know, lying, but is making it clear in his vape, in his face that he's lying, you know, in that way that you, you associate with the thirties where you're like, yeah, see, you know, and, and <laughs> right. And the it's exaggeration. That, I think it's called excessive obviousness in, in the mm -hmm. sort of discourse about the, the movies from the golden era that he, and I think it's fair to just say what he's doing is over the top, maybe in a little, and, and not in a not good way, but, but it may be to read it generously. I think there's also, just a, a kind of indication of that, that he's, he's just gone, he's just become a different person and, and is, is this sort of past iteration of, of himself, you know, exactly. at the same time that, that is, is linked to alcohol in that scene and is linked to the mirror in that scene. And the, and being the caretaker. See that. So yeah. the thing is to me, so if we get to the bathroom scene with Grady, yeah. When they walk in, you can see both of their reflections fine. But then there is and, – and his attitude is a certain way when he's saying, like, you're the one who murdered your yeah. – but then there is a cut. And, and, and it's, it's very distinct where all of a sudden there is a, there is a tonal shift when mm -hmm. Grady starts getting very serious and he is like, no, you're the caretaker – you've always been and I've yeah. always known and then you can't see his reflection in the mirror anymore so that to me is a signal that we are in a different time and and or the times are overlapped so yeah so there is this merging that Danny and Wendy absolutely reject as dangerous and bad but then Grady from the past is also saying do you know that your son is contacting this person which is in the present so yeah, I, I think that there's a lot to be made out of like that that's another thing that happens when you're drinking the the memory yeah. part and like losing a little bit of your grip on where you're at. Yeah. And the, and then it's maybe tied to uh, there are other lines that I, I had jotted down around that you've always you've always been the caretaker. I know because I've always been here when he first meets Lloyd, when Lloyd first arrives, he says, I always liked you, you know, mm -hmm. it's not the first time that he's, they've met, even though this, this, you know, person has appeared from nowhere. Um, right. That, that there's this, there are all these implications that, that what well, the state he's returning to is this 
kind of perpetual state or that it is always, that it's always there. The, 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 the thing represented by alcohol and by this sort of tug that he's experiencing is, is, is always there. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think that the idea to, um, to sort of traumatic memory, I think too, that he, in that, it, what he talks to Lloyd about is having abused his son and, right. and that it's, she, and he, what he says too is as long as I live, she'll never let me forget. It happened three years ago. It happened, and yeah. Yes. And, and, and that is somehow her, you know, he's sorry and he did it and like, let's move on sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and that it that it still you know haunts him in 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 this way that 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 act um he's unable to erase from from his past or fr- and and from his memory no matter how much he he drinks or how much he he kind of piles on top of it right. um and that he yep. bl- that he blames her, you know that to I I noticed on this most recent viewing how there's not a single interaction between him and and Wendy in which you in in that feels loving or that feels um it, like anything other than he's just barely containing its rage and sarcasm when he when he speaks to her even in the in the drive up um he you know, she's asked a question about the Donner party or something. And the whole tone is just kind of, is sort of sarcastic. Um, and that he, that he, in this, you know, very typically sexist way, just blames the woman in his life for his problems. And says that even at the end of, of the, um, you know, before things become really violent, you've, you know, you've, fucked up my life to this point. I won't let you do it anymore. That, that he, that it's always, I think what I'm trying to say, it's always this, he, he's always finding something to blame, you know, as some way to try to put it, put it off. If, if he can't blank it out, he's got to find some, some, somewhere to displace it, you know? Yeah. My one line that you just brought to my mind was i I read a bunch of my friends' reviews on this, and Michael, um, my buddy Michael, wrote that uh, that it's so easy for Jack to imbibe the poison because it's in him. Yeah, he's already in him. Yeah, and that he is a blocked writer, essentially, yeah. who blames his block on his wife, and in the um in the narrative of the hotel like lloyd grady area mm-hmm. and the picture at the end he's actually like the center of attention he's a caretaker he's successful so um mm-hmm. my buddy ethan sent me a great essay on this that he wrote where, where it's like there's the actual and then there's the virtual there's the actual reality which is here's a man who has writer's block right. who has a drinking problem and and is a, a domestic abuser um, so there's those facts. And then in this virtual reality or the hotel reality, he is um, beloved. He is um, like celebrated. 
basically. And so I think it's like a, the part of the descent into madness is he's attracted to that because he wants to believe that. Yeah. The, the sort of the grandiosity of the fiction that he has, that he has created in his, in his mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I remember, um, you know, sort of becoming aware at some point, this was not my observation from one of these, you know, many, uh, smart analyses of the film that, that often, you know, his typewriter is positioned in proximity to Wendy or something happening when, when Danny comes out of room two, three, seven, and his shirt is torn and his neck is bruised and she accuses him of having done it, which, you know, is one of the readings of the film that I think is pretty compelling that, that sort of, you know, where it's like, what if we just see this not as a ghost story, but as a, as a a reflection of um, one man's tyrannical terrorization of his family um, and, and what's happening in his mind when he does this um, that, you know, anyway, in that sort of maybe reading of the film there, you know, in which it's it is him that has abused the boy and not some ghost that that what's happening is is that he's um he's an abuser he's a violent person he's a he's a um he he abuses his wife and child and has done it in the past and is doing it now and is forgetting it you know or is 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 making himself forget it and when he comes out of the room, that's that's positioned right above his typewriter, you know, as if this the 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 blaming of him is is you know tied to his writing, to his fiction, you know, that he's also sort of trying to live in live out this um, imagined fantasy that he you know funnels through the typewriter, but as but as you said, is also totally stopped up and. Um, and, and and just becomes, uh, you know, this insane poem in the film, uh, which I always love that scene where you know she's rifling she's through, through them those those pages and that they're all slightly justified differently and you're you're imagining whatever you know poor intern had to sit and type that stuff or probably I, know, I, th- probably, I thought of that yeah. Probably Kubrick himself, though, because he I'm sure he couldn't let somebody else do it. But. Uh, I read something that was like it's it's emblematic of um, Jack's inability to to uh, make a proper response to a problem that like that yeah. sort of compulsive behavior like he didn't just type that like one time. There's like so many. So it's it's also right. like this compulsion but the there is this desperation i think to um do something so yeah. so that's what's so frightening about it is yeah. that he's really driven um he's not like uh <laughs> i don't know it, it's 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 different than some of king's other cuz king always writes about writers right and, you know, uh, in snowy places that are, <laughs> uh, I was thinking of secret window, but then also like misery and, yeah. um, but the, like, yeah, where you're like shut off from the world basically. And, yeah. um, bad things happen. 
Um, but in this case, it's like a psychopath um, who, who in the context of Kubrick's film is also being led and possessed sort of in a way that's yeah. like moving him forward. Like when, when he's going through the corridors and the, like the, the outlay of the hotel, it feels like he's being led, not just like wandering. I feel like that to me, it feels mm -hmm. quite, um, like a puppet master as like guiding somebody as opposed to just like aimlessly. Oh, I wonder what's around this corner. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I am sort of interested too in the idea that, you know, what, what some of what we're seeing in the film is, is Jack's fiction, you know, is his imagination is, mm. is his, and that, and that there are times in which one's imagination, especially a, a, maybe a hack fiction writer where it's a mm -hmm. little cliche or it's a little stock or it's a little stilted or, you know, the, the scenes of, um, the scenes of how at the end, the scenes of Halloran where he, you know, there's these weird details where it's like, why are there these, why are there these naked posters in his, uh-huh. In Miami, his room, you know? And it's like, uh -huh. well, because, because the person who imagined this is a little racist and is a little, um, doesn't really understand this human being that he's writing about. And and so the representation of it, and the, and that each of the, the his whole sort of journey to the Overlook is these very, you know, you're kind of like, why are these in the movie? Actually, they don't really, we don't really need to see a lot of this journey, you know, because it's just kind of, um, you know, there's nothing happening. He's on an airplane and he asks what time it is, and and that's it, you know. And it's like, well, this is a scene that a bad fiction writer would. Right. You know, this is he's yeah. because he's sort of imagining this is the this is the plot that he's created, you know, for, for himself. I don't know if that quite makes I don't know if that quite holds up as a as a reading or, or as a as an, a way of interpreting interpreting what's happening. But no, um, I think you're onto something there because I don't think it's an accident. I don't I don't yeah. think those sort of details are are i mean there's a meaning to them and that one's just as good as yeah. any other i like that a lot yeah. even the continuity between another like tiny detail that she's reading wendy is reading catcher in the rye in yes. the very beginning yes which is a book that adolescents read you know it's not a and and i i guess i specifically think of you know that like I don't know, 12 to 15. Like it, that's a book that really hits hard when you're just like, <laughs> my parents suck, school suck, <laughs> you know, and you're in that, in that, it's Caulfield. not a, well, not a book Holden. that an adult mother right. uh, you would expect <laughs> to read. And then right after that, or right before that, right around that scene, he describes her as a, she's a horror movie fanatic, a, a ghost story fanatic. But, it, and, but it's like, well, that doesn't jive with what we just saw. She's a, she's, reading literature, you know, but, but that is maybe she's a, reading Salinger, Jack, <laughs> right, come on. Right. Right. <laughs> but maybe that's even a, a stock sort of, well, she's reading a book. What would she be reading? Catcher in the Rye. You know, it's it just as a book that everyone has, maybe something like that. And, and that 
he's just uh, he's unable to to you know he's unable to fill in the 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 details of his life with with things that aren't a cliche or there's always just something a little bit off about about the way that he's stringing the plot from one place to the next well it's like a maze of denial that he's in right yeah. i mean it it kind of is just like comes back to not seeing things as they are yeah. or pulling things from your memory that don't actually coalesce very well yeah um which is something bad writing does yeah uh it gives that sensation of like it's jarring and you don't feel like the person has a full grasp yeah of what they're talking about or yeah. trying to convey and so you kind of don't have a clarity yeah about the material um bringing in though uh his character coming to save Danny mm -hmm. I am interested in what you think of the differences between the shining definitions like do you yeah. see a difference between like because I mean Kubrick's film obviously they go out of their way to explain they have that conversation he has that conversation with yeah. Danny of what shining is um is sort of this like sixth sense yeah um but I wondered if you have any different interpretation because that's that's the element of the film that i could liken to any sort of spirituality or any sort of like otherworldliness that isn't just horror related yeah that's a really interesting question i i jotted down at some point when i was reading that there's a lot more detail in the book about that danny can read their minds basically whatever they're whatever they're thinking or when when they you know, when he's considering drinking, there are all these, you know, kind of moments where Danny will perceive that and think, oh, dad's thinking about the bad stuff. He's, he's thinking mm. about the stuff that he shouldn't think about. And, and that's not really, what's interest was interesting about, and I think what I wrote down was that the shining makes the, the hidden visible that the, what it, what the shining is, is that there, there basically is no no privacy when you're when you're in the proximity of it that he that because Danny has the shining he can when you're around him there's just no barrier between you and him basically that there's there's no uh there's no ability to control that and like telepathy almost except Jack's not really speaking back to him right i mean it's like he can read but it's only in one way. Right. Right. That, 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 right. He, um, or like the, because I'm embarrassed about this reference, but like the, the, the Betazoid in Star Trek, the next generation where they can, you, they, they just know what you're, they just know what you're thinking. And, and, and you, right. it's not, it's not a, a two way conversation unless you both have the shining, I guess. Uh, and right. I suppose that's sort of implied in, in the movie as, as well um because he hear there's the one scene where he they're arguing um after danny has come out of room 237 and is sort of catatonic and and he can hear them arguing about taking him to the doctor and that sort of and the the audio is very warbled in this way suggesting that he it's not that he's hearing it it's that it's you know coming to him coming to him in, in this other way but it does seem it does seem different the the line that i always that always kind of 
has been odd to me in the movie is when he says, it's like when someone burns toast <laughs> and, 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 and it's like, it leaves a trace of itself behind is then the, is then the sort of next line as if it's this like psychic stink is, is what the, is the, is related to it in some way. And that, and that's kind of what goes back to, I think the idea from earlier that, that there's this kind of contemporaneousness of time or the simultaneity of time. And that, especially when it comes to traumatic things of violence, that, that that's sort of what the, the shining is too. Right. Right. So do you feel like Danny possesses that gift because he's experienced trauma or do you think that he just had that? I guess, I guess it's hard for me to see the movie in any other way than about than than primarily about I mean to me it's very much about his abuse too you know the the alcoholism is a central theme and that's related to that but um I mean, it, in, up to and including sexual abuse, you know, that w- what it is that happens in room 237 is linked to, you know, violence, the father, the son, but also to sex, you know, that when, when yeah. Jack goes into it, there's this, you know, this, there's this kind of, you know, beautiful woman that turns into the court and that's all, none of that's in the book you know it's just this woman who has committed suicide and then was in the bathtub basically and 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 so that the whole implication of of sex being tied to what happens in that room is just in the movie and it seems like that's a that's a layer in the movie that's not in the in the book you know he's he's clear he's he's hurt jack but there's not the implication that he's sexually or he's hurt danny there's not the implication that he's sexually abused him, which, which I think is in the movie for sure. Yeah. But, you know, and including that, that, I mean, this is that, that sort of speaking of this, you know, world of analysis of this film, the, the Rob Hadger collative learning, um, you know, kind of series of analyses of the video sort of theorizes that, that what is that whole weird bear costume man scene about you know and and his read on it is that that's just another in this long series of suggestions that that jack has sexually abused danny um Mm. and that and that this you know what what is represented by that um by the shining to get back to your initial question is 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 maybe related to that 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 it's a it's it's um you know, his, his trauma or his inability to, to exist without an awareness of, um, of that burned toast, you know, at all times, like it's all, there's always this, um, layer to existence now, even when, even when, you know, even the thing thing that's so striking about the movie just as a sonic experience, it's like te- the whole thing is terrifying because of the music. You know, it's right from the first moment. There's not a moment of levity in the entire thing. 
and it, it, there's not a funny moment in the entire thing because of, of that music that even if when when they're sort of joking around with each other it's still just that you know somebody freaking oppressive freaking out on the cello you know and and <laughs> and that that i think you know that which underscores that idea that for the for the the person post traumatic stress uh it is, it's impossible to really just kind of live or get back to that pre-trauma person. Time. Well, yeah, and you're also making me think about how, like, people will describe, you know, there's this hyper-awareness of the darker side of reality, I guess, is, is, is also, like, he's just so now forever acutely aware of what somebody is trying to hide because he's experienced the schism between how a person presents themselves yeah. and how they are alone. And um, it, it also is like a very almost like sobering portrait of like, what is it like for the other person for like the non alcoholic or the non addict? Right. What is it like to live for them to live with someone who is on a self-destructive path. So, so it's not just like, this isn't just a movie where you could relate to it if you were struggling in the way that Jack is, but you could relate to it in the sense of being the child of one or having people in your family who displayed, like, obviously this is an extreme example, but these are types of things that I'm most interested in is like, how do you see things from another point of view? And, what would that feel like yeah. to to because Danny has the shining, he's not really surprised by things that happen, but in right. real life, it's a ticking time bomb. Right. Like you're living with a loose cannon and you have no idea. So the shining is mm-hmm. like both a gift and a curse in that sense. Because he can anticipate to a certain extent. He can see beneath the bullshit exterior. But he he also is a child who shouldn't have to. Right. And the book really kind of underscores that a lot that he see, he sees, remember there's like the, the joke early in the book where he over, or over here, I'm not sure if that's the right word even to use, but he, he reads a, a, a woman, you know, sort of sexually desiring the driver of her car but he doesn't understand what getting in his pants means. He why would she want to, you know, and so he experiences these things, but doesn't, uh, but is unable to really process or understand or understand them. And the, the book really refers to that frequently that, you know, Halloran will tell him what well, you're, you're going to, you're going to hear so much before you're ready for it, before you, before you can really understand it. Um, mm. And that, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I have a two-year-old, and who's just kind of developing an awareness of language and and um, becoming a you know, a baby is just like a, a baby. You know, there's no personality really mm-hmm. there yet. But now, but now that I see her developing this personality it makes you so aware too of just the effect that you have on the people around you and that 
that Dan, you know in the in the shining Danny is so clearly so is just so vulnerable and um and that that you know i don't know post parenting for me um makes the movie so much sadder than it then i think it you know it was always terrifying and unsettling in in all these ways um but even even so it you know you you can't help but imagine and i would maybe not like to talk about doctor sleep i guess cuz i really didn't like it but uh but it does it it i think because part of why i didn't like it is because it's sadder to imagine and not be told you know what's going to happen to this kid having gone through this you know the book does end on a sort of a false i think slightly happy note but also you know where they're it's summertime and and wendy mm -hmm. and, and danny having survived and haller and having survived are all at this kind of resort together and um but but it's clear in that scene too just how messed up the kid is um having gone through this terrible experience um yeah, and I, you just remind me of the scene where I mean, when he's talking to Lloyd, and he's like, "He's a very willful boy. He's an or yeah. he's a naughty boy, and he's a willful boy, sort of thing." Mm -hmm. Um, where it's like, he's like, "Oh, I love the kid to death," but then at the same time, maybe he sees a lot of himself in him, and he just wants him destroyed, just like he wants to destroy himself. Yeah, yeah, that and this something about will and talent are are put in in conflict with each other in that scene with with grady he has a very great talent you know he's told right but he's he's also very willful and and that's yeah. that's a just those words are sort of curious i think right that will is what jack lacks mm -hmm. and also talent he lacks perhaps that he he can't he can't write a coherent story. He can't, um, he can't he can even only write one sentence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did. I noticed too, that so much of the book is about the labor that Jack does around the hotel, fixing the, you know, retiles the roof or re re shingles the roof at one point. Um, and you see him do nothing in the movie. He does no work whatsoever. He just bounces mm -hmm. his stupid tennis ball. And, but Wendy right. does a lot of work. You see her, you know, down in the in the basement operating things. You see her fixing meals. You see her, you know, doing all this this unappreciated labor. Um, I wonder if there if it's like, see, it's, this is why to me the most compelling element of this film is the time element and like <laughs> like identity, like yeah. how. Um, cause, cause maybe what we're seeing is like when she's working, that's reality yeah. and like, that's what's actually happening. And then like anytime that he appears busy or, or like, like he's doing something is just a fantasy. And what he's really doing is those moments where he's like putting the, the tennis ball against the wall and wandering around and just like not contributing at all to anything, sleeping in, you know, um, and so there's just like this desire 
I almost feel when I'm watching it, like I just wish that who he wanted to be and who he was or his perception of himself could all just align. And right. then we wouldn't get this horrendous person. Right. Um, right. Like if it could somehow be fixed so that right. his perception of her is correct as a person right. who's doing all this stuff and actually cares for him greatly mm-hmm. that, that he could see his son as like an imaginative, very like, like what's the word I want to say here? Not protege. What's the word? Um, where like the kid is a genius. Oh, um, the prodigal son. With, not prodigal. <sighs> what What is that word? <laughs> oh my gosh! I feel like it starts with a PR. It's not protege and it's not prodigal. There's a word for this. Um, where where he's like very bright, but Jack can't see him as such. He right. just resents him for it. Yeah, and so. If, if he could, like, align all of these things and see reality and actually be off the wagon in a, like, yeah. sobriety sense, not just, like, not drinking sense, yeah, then there's a whole other story here. But that's not at all what happens. Right. Prodigy. Prodigy, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that goes – I think that kind of goes back to the to the poem. I think that's – I think that's sort of – was was mm. maybe in some ways where that came from like what that, that you see you see not how easy it is to become like this man but just how how it could happen and and the it, it, when when you when you could see that same maybe tend or that pull toward the void in yourself and and that um and that the movie really creates a desire to and the book really creates a desire to to fix that to revise that you know whereas the film was like uh the way that it ends is he's frozen in time yeah and then he is the caretaker forever so he's like fully become like integrated with the hotel like the hotel has him forever basically yeah and like he will always be there and he will always come back but his his personhood is gone. Yeah. And I think that's why he becomes crazier and crazier as it goes on. It seems like that's what we're what it's saying is that you don't just stay in a certain level. You get worse. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense Until, to me. But with Grady, the whole family was destroyed and for Jack, his family lives. Mm-hmm. So that's an in- interesting distinction too. Right. And it goes back to your, I think maybe because it it is the phrase Grady uses is, you know, correcting that they they needed correcting that, which struck me as being what that's what right. you do to a manuscript. That's what that's how you that's that's revision. You correct the errors and 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 they mm. they tried to burn it down, but I corrected them. I I you know and and so the differences um, that you, that, that I think you pointed to earlier where it's that they, they, they resist it. You know, they, they see that same tug toward the void, but, but they're un, they're un, they're enough themselves as to be uncorrectable (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) You know, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. And I, I think that you're – it also sort of makes 
Jack into a almost sympathetic figure. I like the line like in your poem where you're saying uh, that you that you don't like the man who whined about what had to be done and maybe Jack does, doesn't like that. Like maybe Jack hates that person too. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though that is what he was doing was just yeah. like not doing what needed to be done. He was the, the type of person that maybe he hated. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the movie doesn't get into his father, the, the father character, Jack's father, as the book right. does, where, where there's this, you know, history of abuse that has, you know, that his, his, he has this traumatic memory of his father beating his mother with a cane, drunk, uh, drunkenly beating his mother with a, with a cane. And, and in his, uh, sort of, uh, when the, when the ghosts have kind of taken him over with their ghost booze or whatever you want to call it in the, in the book, <laughs> ghost this is, whiskey. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what he's, uh, will be mumbling about either that or the play that he has failed to write at, uh, over the course of the the book that he's got this, you know, play that's sort of based on his own life in which he has uh, punched a student out of frustration for, for, um, you know, in the play it's about cheating, but in the, in real life it was about something else. And um, that those things are all his failures as a, as a worker, his failures as a man, his failures as a husband, you know, all these things just kind of bubble up out of him, um, mm-hmm. in, in, in those moments. Um, and, uh, it reminds me of that a couple of times I've thought of the, and the book references it, um, the Ray Milland performance in, um, uh, the long weekend, the Billy Wilder yes, film about the alcoholic. Yeah. yeah. And, and he's yeah. a writer too. He's a, right. he's, you know, going to write this and that's all he talks about. He never, you know, never does it. But then the, but then that, that book, that, um, that film becomes the sort of his story, right? He's sort of in the very beginning in the interview, you know, he says that's when he tells him the story of Grady, he says, well, that's quite a story, you know, and you sort of are like, well, he's outlining a new writing project. He's going to write this. This is the story he's going to write. He's going to write the story of the, the over. He's got a great novel, He's gonna, but instead he lives it out. You know, he, he, he doesn't, um, those things become collapsed or confused in his experience, his imagination and reality. The past and the present, you know, exactly. Everything's just and I think that that's it's such a. uh, I guess it's come become like a stereotype at this point, where it's like the the writer who struggles, you know, and because I just saw the movie Anatomy of a Fall, Mm. which is excellent that came out this year, and there's a writer in that film Mm. who struggles with, like writing and getting it out there and has these ideas but can't get and then drinks and does you know so it's like that whole thing you know king even writes about that and on writing where he's like it's not necessarily that artists are particularly susceptible or whatnot but but there is something true about the connection between maybe um wanting some sort of muse longing for inspiration to strike 
and it not have to be up to us to conjure. Um, <laughs> that's a beautiful maybe, way to put that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> so there's that relatability that a lot of us have, I think, is yeah. uh, which is sort of a laziness in the end. Um, but we want somebody to or something to spark and then take credit for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a, I have, that reminds me of a very good friend of mine named Josh Diamond who said one time, he said, I mean, I hate writing, but I love having written. <laughs> and that, and that I think is a great, that's, that's like what, what you're saying that you, you, you want to wake up and have done great things mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and not to really do them. And that, that's the kind of the, the, there's such an, there is, I used the phrase earlier, the kind of narcissism of writing or like, there's a real ego in mm -hmm. saying, I've got stuff people need to read. I got stuff to say that people need to hear, you know, and, but, but also that's, but also that's very human, you know, and, and very, and, and that kind of reminds me of that, that whole sort of concept of the shining. The shining is a state of being in which there is no barrier between people at all, you know, and, and which you can, and that, and that's scary, but also, um, but also kind of beautiful in a, in a certain way and all, and, 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 um, and idealistic, I don't know, but, and, and sort of what one seeks in, in writing to, to reveal the self, to um, connect, to connect, to be vulnerable, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like King says, there are no shortcuts yeah. like you, but we want shortcuts. Yeah. 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 Just and, look at Twitter or whatever yeah. it's called. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Definite, definitely something that I feel like resonates with me too is that um, you have to sort of, uh, there, there's a great line uh, that I stole from King. I don't have it on my profile anymore, but it was something about that writing is a mixture of sweeping the floor and mythy moments of revelation. <laughs> so you can't, you can't have those moments where you feel inspired or animated by like, this is, this is like, you know, when you're writing something good, you get into this flow and you feel like you're in the zone and you feel like it's almost like you're not even saying it. It's coming from something. Yeah. Right. But like 90% of it is sweeping the floor. Yeah. And um, doing grunt work. Yeah. And that's the part that nobody sees. Yeah. You know, like I think about that a lot with podcasts. Yeah. When I watch podcasts now, I know how much work they have to do. Yeah. And before um, I would just be like, oh, well, they should have cut that. And why didn't they do this? And I'm so, so like judgy and right. like, go, you go do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is very much a sense of like, we want to eliminate that first step. And, yeah. um, and then you get all work and no play. Right. Makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> so. I know you hear me, Jacob. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note, it has been an absolute pleasure. I hope that everyone has gotten something out of this that is unique. Um, 
because I really enjoyed rewatching this. This is not a movie that I love uh, at, by any stretch, but I did appreciate it in the in the lens of what I was trying to do. It's so unpleasant to watch, mm. um, but uh, also I feel rewarded by sort of seeing it and spending time with it. Yeah, and and delving into the parts of it that kind of get you not in just like a horror sense yeah. or not just like a, a cinephile sense, but yeah. like a real depth that you can feel Yeah, trying to grasp that part is re- very rewarding. I think too. Yeah. With that, thank you, Jacob. Merry Christmas to everyone. And uh, we'll see you at the movies.